Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and of course with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Monday. It's March 20th. Bob, the calendar says it's officially the first day of spring. Ooh. Yes. Okay. You're going to like that, right? I do. Minus tomorrow's forecast. No, that's true. It's supposed to be really <laughs> nasty tomorrow, huh? Yeah. But well, maybe you, we're you turning... You could jump in your car and go up and get some snow. Yeah, I think I'll pass on that opportunity, but I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, But anyway, we have plenty to get into here because uh, March Madness, week number one, did not disappoint. Plenty of uh, games that maybe didn't go as we thought they were going to go. So we'll certainly dive into all things March Madness. Uh, in addition to that, the Phoenix Suns, uh, they gave up an 18-2 run to the Thunder and ultimately lost that game. So we'll dive into that. Uh, Team USA in the World Baseball Classic will be playing in the final on Tuesday, awaiting their opponent from tonight's action. But, of course, we start today's program with the poll questions and we'll set the scene here with the kdos1060.com poll question which win on sunday was most impressive our options are creighton kansas state miami michigan state well after creighton had a 100 percent lead in the last hour we now have a totally different set of data here michigan state is out in front at 57% of the vote. Creighton's now at 29% of the vote. Kansas State's at 14%, and Miami at no love at 0% of the vote. Okay. Well, I was a little surprised at the Creighton thing from the last hour when it was, you know, unanimous uh, because they were actually a small favorite while Kansas State, Miami, and Michigan State were all underdogs yesterday. Absolutely. And we'll dive into those games and answer the question as well around 1130 today on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Is the ASU basketball program headed in the right direction? Uh, They won their play in game against Nevada and lost not technically on a buzzer beater, but essentially on a buzzer beater against TCU on Friday night. Yes, leading the way here at 70.6% of the vote. No sitting at 29.4% of the vote and that is on twitter at kdus am 1060 let's just start with that game tcu came out on top 72 to 70 with a last second bucket by jacoby coles to put the horned frogs up by the numbers dj horn was five of nine with 17 points and a clutch three desmond cambridge four of 15 with 10 points and warren washington four of eight 11 points mike miles for tcu six of 15 12 of 14 from the foul line 26 points and after uh, a very disturbing landing uh after that massive dunk Heading uh, into the like toward the end of the first half, he was able to come back and play and play very effectively in the second half. Yeah, he certainly did, and he obviously had the game-winning assist and uh, 
Yeah, the ASU certainly had the right defensive strategy there. You can't let him beat you at that point. And uh, I guess he did with a pass, but I mean, he, you know, they double teamed, and that's exactly what they should have done. I think that ASU was certainly the fact that he had to, they had to play Wednesday night in Dayton. And then you know, between that, and I'm not sure what was the altitude or just the fact that they had to play earlier in the week. You know they're up fifty. They're up fifty-two to forty-one with sixteen minutes and twenty-four seconds to go. They only got eighteen points in the last sixteen twenty-four. They still, you know, had a, you know, I think a, you know, what seemed to be a comfortable lead. Comfortable is maybe too strong of a word, but they still led sixty-two to fifty-four with six minutes and thirty seconds to go. And uh, they got outscored 18-8 to eight in the game. And, uh, and then really in the second half, you want to kind of expand it, they got outscored 35-26. to 26. Yeah, to, to that point as well, uh, the scoring drought was, was quite bad uh, because they had lack of scoring from 16-34 to go in the second half to 8-50 to go in the game. And in between that time frame, it was just Luther Muhammad made free throws in that stretch. So uh, not certainly what you would want to be able to continue your, your dominance of over TCU but again we've seen very streaky shooting uh, from this team so they're hot shooting in the Dayton in the Dayton game against Nevada I mean yes they're capable of doing that but that hasn't been the consistent norm throughout the season agreed even though this game was a little strange because they still made threes I mean they made eight out of 17 17 I'm guessing they probably would like more but TCU's perimeter defense they've got perimeter defenders so we kind of thought it was going to be a little tougher but only 17 attempts is maybe more alarming than the eight makes there Uh, but the thing was they didn't do well on two-point field goals Uh, you know 48 percent on two-point field goals 17 out of 35 you need a much higher rate uh, no matter who you are Uh, you know that that's going to get you beat almost every time you got to do better on two-point field goal percentage than 48.5 percent so did ASU's dominance, though, in the play-in game and hanging in there with TCU change your mind about anything from the season, or was it sort of some of the similar things that we've seen, flashes of excellence coupled with a lot of inconsistency? I'm going for the latter there. Um, I'm with you on the, the, uh, you know, the you know, some dominance, some inconsistency, and then they just couldn't make shots again, and this, like I mentioned, this time the thing that was surprising to me was the two-point, uh, you know, percentage, which I just pointed out. Uh, they also got destroyed in second-chance points, and while the rebounding advantage may not look like a big deal, it was 34-30 uh, TCU's favor, and it's not like they're a, a team that's, a, you know, they're not exactly a rebounding machine, TCU, but 12-4 in second-chance points made, it was a really big deal. Also, not surprisingly, they got beaten to fast break points, you know, because, you know, we've mentioned for weeks now how TCU's you know, the best team in the country as far as that goes. And they were obviously, uh, they had an edge there 17 to 4, and uh, uh, the, the points off of turnovers. And I think that actually helped. They only had 11 turnovers, but TCU certainly, they go from defense to offense. And I've mentioned this several times in really the last couple of months, ever since that. I guess it was the TCU-Baylor game, which was, I think, in early January uh, when I first mentioned this. That, you know, they're just you know, one end to the next. You know, from the defensive end to the offensive end, they're tremendous. 
And uh, that, I think that also got ASU beat to some extent, obviously not in the very last two possessions of the game, but certainly that led to the comeback without question. An overview of the Pac-12 now. It is just represented by UCLA with USC losing to Michigan State, ASU losing to TCU, and of course U of A losing to Princeton. I think I had said the win totals for the Pac-12 on the FanDuel Sportsbook app prior to the tournament beginning was sitting at six and a half wins. I don't know if the play-in games count for that, and if they don't, if UCLA wins it all, wins the whole tournament, the Pac-12 conference would not hit its over-win total. That's true. That would be significant. If they win the whole thing, they have six wins. Yep. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, I think I actually said when we talked about this last week that you should just, you know, how many wins do you think UCLA will have and then you know, act accordingly. Uh, uh, so we'll see. But uh, I'm not too surprised. Uh, I actually was surprised that the U of A lost to Princeton, even though I shouldn't have been. I should have listened to myself, but I didn't. I said for weeks that I was going to look, look to play against the U of A in the first round, but then I saw the matchups. And, and while I think that Princeton's good, and I mentioned this last week before the U of A played Princeton, we previewed Princeton, etc. I didn't think that the U of A would lose to them, uh, but I just... You know, I'm not I'm not surprised. Certainly, if there was one team left standing uh, from the Pac-12, I think most people thought it was going to be UCLA, even without Jalen Clark. Uh, yeah, and so for UCLA, though, they've obviously looked pretty dominant, and that's a game that we can certainly get into as we go through all of the different games, and we'll start with Saturday's games, and we'll do that on the other side of the break. We'll get into the Saturday matchups and kind of uh, dissect all of that as we head through this March Madness event, which I think madness is absolutely the right term from over the weekend. But there's still an opportunity for you to get involved by picking the winner of the basketball bonanza going to kdos1060.com entering the basketball blitz contest from desert diamond casino west valley you correctly pick the winner you will go into one big pot for your chance at two thousand dollars it's narrowed down to just 16 choices so a one in 16 chance of getting don't take the, don't take kansas or purdue right yeah don't 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 take them as uh once again number one seeds not advancing to the sweet 16 but it's an opportunity to have some fun and be a big winner it's two thousand dollars from desert diamond casino west valley so pick the winner correctly by going over to kdus1060.com it's the extra point right here on kdus am 1060 check out kdus am 1060 on 100.7 kslx hd2 that's right hd radio on 100.7 channel number two Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, Apple and Android users download, listen to us live through the app. You can also podcast the shows right through the KDOS app as well. So if you miss anything, the KDOS 
1060 app is the place to go. Let's take a trip backward to Saturday and go through the matchups and what we have learned in regards to the madness that occurred. And we'll start here with the Furman and San Diego State contest. San Diego State came out on top 75 to 52. Micah Parrish off the bench for the Aztecs, 16 points. Darian Trammell, 13 points. Uh, did this simply come down to it was just way too much defense from the Aztecs? Yeah, and they were re- really never challenged. They went on an 18 to 18 to 1 first half run here. They had a 30 to 17 point, a 30 to 17 lead at that point. Uh, and really, at that after that, there really wasn't much of a contest. You know, they were down 16 to 12. They actually scored 39 of the next 53 points to lead 51 to 30. And at that point, uh, if there were another game going on at that time, but that was a standalone you know, Saturday morning game, there was no other game to look at unless you wanted to go check out some spring training baseball on television. Uh, then you move into what I think everyone thought, well, at least I thought Duke was going to be able to put up more of a contest in this particular matchup, and it just wasn't. Tennessee on top 65-52. to 52. Uh, Tennessee, Tennessee was clearly the better team and the more physical team as well. Duke scored 21 first-half points, which is the lowest number in school history in an NCAA tournament game. I believe the 52 that they ended up for the game was the lowest they've had in a tournament game since Coach K became the head coach. I mean, there were some prehistoric days because Duke had a, actually a very good program in the in the early 60s before Coach K ever got there. But, you know, there were some games back in those days that weren't exactly – they didn't have a shot clock and things like that. But, uh, you know, it was pretty bad. And, uh, you know, it was really just a physical mismatch – you know, the freshmen from Duke against the, uh, you know, grown men from Tennessee, kind of what it came down to. And also Duke was without uh, six, eight freshmen starting forward, Mike, or Mark Mitchell, uh, who actually injured his knee during a Friday shoot around somehow. Uh, and uh, he didn't play. And I don't think he would have made it, you know, a monstrous difference, but Remember when they had all their guys, all their scholarship players, they were actually 18 and one on the season, as it turns out. And since he didn't play, they were 18 and one on the season with their all their guys playing. Did some of the fact that they were so youthful, they being Duke with all the freshmen, kind of catch up to them? Uh, yeah, I do think so. Uh, no question. And Tennessee also made some shots. You know, that's not exactly. Uh, you, know, you always kind of wonder what they're gonna you know, whether they're gonna turn it over or make some shots it's a doesn't seem to be a whole lot in between for tennessee uh, then we have a, a very good contest here arkansas and kansas sending kansas as the number one seed packing arkansas on top 72 to 71 here's a fun fact though first Purdue having already lost and then Kansas losing this game, it is now just the fourth time since 1985 that multiple number one seeds didn't make the Sweet 16. Happened in 2020, 2024, and 2018. Kansas did not have Bill Self coaching in this game, and Arkansas was able to come back from down 12 to win behind Devontae Davis's explosive second half. Yeah, Eric Musselman, former ASU assistant coach, continues, I guess, is kind of now his annual NCAA tournament run, whether he's either at Nevada or can or Arkansas. And uh, as you mentioned, they rallied from uh, they were down 10 or I believe it was 10 or 12. I can't remember in the second half. One of those two double digits, let's put it that way. 
And uh, I actually thought Kansas played a pretty good game until the final three minutes and 46 seconds where they didn't get a field goal at that point. Uh, certainly, as you mentioned, no self. Uh, they were 26-0 and this season when leading at halftime with Bill Self. Uh, so I think that definitely made somewhat of a difference here. But uh, Arkansas, the biggest surprise, they got nothing out of Nick Smith, the heralded freshman uh, who has been hobbling around with a groin injury, and uh, he played just 16 minutes in this game, and uh, he was scoreless, and Arkansas still won the game. You know, Kansas, as I mentioned, didn't have Bill Self as he continues to recover from the heart procedure, especially late in this game with deciding some of the the major decisions here. Do you go for a quick two? Do you try to set up a three for Kansas? Uh, did not having Bill Self here impact the Jayhawks late? Actually, I thought they got really good looks, and they also missed free throws. And guys, they got to the free throw line, and uh, you know, guys that make free throws usually didn't. Uh, so, you know, I think there was more of them just feeling the pressure and so forth. But like I said, I thought that, uh, they're, they had, I'm guessing Norm Roberts or Bill Self, whenever he was, I mean, he was, uh, in the, in the city, uh, in Des Moines, but you know, didn't go to the, wasn't allowed to coach in the game. Uh, I'm, I don't, I can't imagine he was all that disappointed at the, really the, you know, the fact that they didn't make shots as a whole thing, but. You know, they got the good they got good shots and got to the free throw line and those are the kind of things that you want down the stretch of close games. Princeton continues its magical run here, topping Missouri seventy-eight to sixty-three. Princeton not only topped U of A as a fifteen seed, they went on to punch their ticket to the sweet sixteen by really trouncing Missouri. This is Princeton's first ever sweet sixteen, fourth Ivy League school to make a sweet sixteen, and the fourth fifteen seed to make a sweet sixteen. But it happens to be the third in the last three tournaments, with Oral Roberts doing it in twenty twenty one, St. Peter's in twenty twenty two, and now Princeton here in twenty twenty three. Okay, I got a nugget for you here. The 15-point victory, the large, largest margin of victory ever for a 15 seed in any game. Ooh. Uh, so, you know, they were uh, – I wasn't that surprised once this game started. This would have been a good in-game betting proposition, but it might have gotten away before you could actually bet it because <laughs> it was, you know, right off the bat, you know, Missouri tries to press. They try to get you up and down. They try to force turnovers. They're great – for, you know, forcing turnovers and converting those turnovers into points. Well, Princeton had nine turnovers for the game and allowed just eight points off those turnovers against Missouri's pressure defense. So this was a mismatch. You know, we will certainly be getting into uh, previewing the Sweet 16 games later on in the show and, and later this week as well. But just off the top of my head here, with what we've seen from Princeton through the first two games of this tournament, can they be a 15 seed that gets past the Sweet 16 and makes it to an Elite Eight? Um, I think it's possible, certainly. But I would uh, certainly am not favoring them against uh, against Creighton. And Creighton, uh, their guard play is much better than uh, you know, what they've uh, – you know, certainly I think it's more consistent, let's put it that way. And it was tremendous yesterday. Creighton's guards were really good. And Creighton, they make threes. They can pretty much – if I think they can beat anybody – uh, but you know, just you know, two games ago, Creighton could make a three, and we're lucky to move on. Houston, 
topping Auburn 81 to 64. First of all, it was getting really annoying hearing Houston complain about the home court advantage for Auburn. That was just getting really nauseating to hear everyone discuss that. So at least that's finally done and over with. But Marcus Sasser, he played for Houston 7 of 14, 22 points, 31 minutes in the game. And then uh, Tremont Mark, though, led the way for Houston with 26 points. I think the biggest thing here was that Houston's defense, which was a no-show in the first half, they allowed 41 points in the first half. That's only the third time this season that they've allowed you know 40 or more points in any half. Uh, and then you know Auburn had a tremendous run at the end of the first half. They you know won a 17-4 run. Yeah, and they uh, you know they they had a lead into the second half, and then they just got crushed. Houston outscored Auburn in the second half, 50 to 23. And uh, Auburn went forever without scoring a field goal in this uh, in this situation. So Houston's headed to the Sweet 16 for a fourth consecutive tournament now. Uh, then you have Penn State and Texas here. Texas comes out on top, 71 to 66. Dylan uh, Dylan Dew, uh, Dessou was a beast. 14 of 20, 10 rebounds, 28 points, and it felt like Texas was in control. And then things got really tight, about 9:25 to go in the game, and even Penn State had the lead with 4:50 to play. Yeah, even when they had the lead at that point, I never really thought that Penn State was going to win. I just, you know, obviously looked horribly at Penn State for much of the season. I just didn't think they were any good. I was way wrong uh, in their previous game. And, uh, you know, they destroyed Texas A&M, and I thought A&M would be the better team there. But I actually just thought that Texas was in control. And, you know, Timmy Allen was, I think, the unsung hero here. I'm not even sure how unsung he was, actually. Uh, Valley product, Timmy Allen, uh, you know, nine points, 12 rebounds and three assists. But most importantly, he was the primary defender against Jalen Pickett. And we've talked about Pickett uh, last week and I've talked about him more than just last week. He only had 11 points, was five for 13 from the free throw from the field. And most importantly, they kept him off the free throw line. He only had one free throw attempt. So Allen, for the most part, against him, played great defense and didn't foul. Then you have Northwestern and UCLA, a game here. UCLA coming out on top, 68-63, and I'm, I'm so sad. I'm not going to be able to say boo-booey anymore, but uh, <laughs> anyway, 18 points for him. You can still say it. I, I can, but it won't have any context or, or like uh, meaning okay. or anything because they're out of the okay. tournament now. But uh, I'll keep saying it as many times as I can in this segment. Boo-booey, 18 points for Northwestern. For UCLA, Jaime Jaquez, 24 points on 11 of 19 from the field. Did this game go the way you thought it would? Pretty much. Uh, you know, I mentioned on Friday that these are two tremendous half-court defensive teams, exceptionally well-coached. And I actually thought of the games the last two days that this was the best-played game of the last two days. With that excellent coaching, they excel at the defensive end of the floor. It was tied at 45 then then UCLA took over and they got 23 of the next uh, next 38 points so they they definitely took control at that point but yeah incredible season for Northwestern you know Chris Collins entered the season on the hot seat and uh, like I said earlier during the sports zone I, I I need to look this up I don't think they officially gave him a contract extension but there was talk they were going to because I guess maybe other schools are now interested in Chris Collins after the job they did this year. And uh, 
they overhauled his coaching staff a little bit too, and that's made a big difference. They went from are they ever going to stop anybody in recent years to were you know is anybody going to score against them this year? And uh, they're so good defensively, and obviously that's UCLA's bottom line, and you know no Jalen Clark. Uh, but uh, they can still defend. But I do wonder whether the Jalen Clark factor is going to make a difference, say, as early as this week when they play Gonzaga, because Gonzaga can score some points against pretty much anybody. Uh, one more one more question about UCLA, though. So obviously we had a lot of question marks about the injury to, to Clark and how that would impact their defense. Have we seen enough from them in these first two games, or especially the, the contest against Northwestern, to say that those concerns moving forward to win a total of six games to win it all uh, go to the back burner, or are they still major concerns? Uh, can I go in the middle? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, try to you know, you know split the difference here. Uh, I think they can still win. I think it's gonna be more difficult for them to win without Jalen Clark. Uh, you know, needless to say, this week uh, going against Gonzaga, you know, Drew Timmy, who's a tremendous college player. I don't even know if he'd be drafted in the 58 players that are drafted in the NBA. But he is a tremendous college player, and he's been a tremendous college player for a couple of decades now. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But the fact that you know, UCLA, you know, at least got their big dude back. You know, that was a, certainly you know, Bona played on Saturday, and the fact that they certainly are going to need him. And you know, he's a tremendous defender. Uh, he's you know, basically different. He's six ten, so he's a much different defender than Jalen Clark. But the fact that he is, uh, he came back and played, and I'm pretty sure he could have played actually in the first game of the tournament for UCLA, but they realized that they really didn't need him at that point after he suffered the shoulder injury in the uh, Pac-12 tournament. Maryland and Alabama here. Uh, really, Alabama was in control here, 73-51. And Bama really hasn't been tested so far in the tournament. Well, I'm going to go back to the ACC, the, excuse me, the SEC tournament. Yeah, you know, they stumbled into the SEC tournament. You know, they didn't play well for you know, two, three weeks after the latest off the field, off the court drama. But the last five games now, if you count the three games of the SEC tournament where they destroyed the competition, including Texas A&M and the championship game, whom they just lost to the previous Saturday at Texas A&M, and those three games and the first two games of this tournament. You know, you can make a pretty easy, easy case that they nobody's playing better than they are right now. And uh, Javon Quinterly, who you know, actually was originally committed to go to the University of Arizona in the Sean Miller era, but was also uh, part of the FBI. You know, re, you know remember the uh, you know the recruiting you know, investigation? He was part of that. Never played a game at the U of A. Then went to Villanova for a brief period of time, and now he's landed at Arkansas. But Quinterly. Uh, who actually suffered a torn ACL in the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, he had 22 points in this game on Saturday, and he was in complete control of the orchestrated things at the point guard position in addition to the 22 points he had. We'll get into Sunday's slate of games uh, a little bit later on in the show. We'll take a break now, and we'll take your calls if you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060, 602-260-1060. If you'd like to join the show, we'll take your calls now and get to you on the other side of the break. I'm seeing here that with uh, Georgetown uh, hiring Providence Ed Cooley as their next head coach, John Rothstein is reporting that George Mason's Kim English is expected 
expected to be a serious candidate to replace the vacant Providence position. Kim English, who used to be a really good player back in his days in Missouri. 602-260-1060 is the number to join the show if you'd like to join the program. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app on this Monday, March 20th. KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa. Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open the KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. Here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the new KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, he's Bob Kemp. I'm Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll take a brief pause from the March Madness conversation, get into Sunday's games a little bit later on, but we'll stick with the basketball theme and keep it here local to discuss the Phoenix Suns. They had a game Sunday after. Afternoon, they fell to the Thunder 124 to 120. It was a game with no Kevin Durant, uh, obviously still dealing with that ankle sprain, but also no DeAndre Ayton as he is dealing with a right hip contusion. Devin Booker, it wasn't enough. 18 of 28 for 46 points. Shea Gildas Alexander for the Thunder was 12 of 24, 16 of 19 from the foul line for 40 points. Lou Dort, former ASU Lou Dort, added in 20 points. But here's probably the most concerning part. The Suns led 100 to 90 in the fourth quarter and promptly allowed the Thunder to go on an 18 to 2 run before Booker hit some free throws. Um, that's not what you want to see trending in a, in a good direction as the season is starting to wind down. They're out of dudes. Um, obviously, the Aiton thing, you can't blame him for this lot. Well, I guess you can because he, he got hurt in the game before and couldn't play. Uh, got hurt near the end of that game against uh, against uh, who they play Orlando on Thursday night and uh, was unable. He didn't even make the trip. Uh, they you know, they have two more road games, but they're actually here for a couple of days. They don't play the Lakers until Wednesday, uh, so we'll see what's up with that. But uh, you know the uh, you know the Bismack Biombo and that uh, that he was okay, but not great, and uh, they were obviously lacking at the center position. But also, you got guys that are just uh, shouldn't be playing as much as they are, and the fact that Okogi and Campaign and Ish Wainwright, those dudes made a combined six of twenty-one from the field. Uh, they were they were just not good, and uh, they, those guys shouldn't be shooting. The Campaign we thought maybe had made kind of a you know a return to at least being a decent player. He had two straight really good games last week and then was awful yesterday. And those guys should not be combining for 21 field goal attempts ever in the NBA game. Landry Shamit did make his return to the court after yeah. missing, I think it was, what, 25 games or, or something significant like that. Yes, uh, he, exactly 25. There we yep. go. Uh, he did play 20 minutes. He was 3 of 4 for 10 points here. But I, I think to your point, just the way that this 
team is currently constructed, the players that they do have available, most of them I find to just be really, really inconsistent. And that's not uh, a recipe for success to have so much inconsistency. Well, that guy, these guys are not, you know, they haven't been frontline NBA players before, and there's a reason for that. And, uh, you know, the fact that obviously you don't have, you know, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, that would have made a big difference, in my opinion, yesterday. Rarely, and I mean rarely, in you know, the four seasons he's been the Suns head coach, have I questioned the uh, strategy of, of the coaching staff, no matter who was actually the assistants with Monty Williams, etc. I didn't understand what they were not doing yesterday. It took them a long time before they even thought about double teaming. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, you know the stud scorer. In fact, I think a lot of people don't understand how good, you know, basically he is. I mean, Shea Gildas Alexander. Right. Well, that's the guy I wanted the Suns to draft that year anyway. That's a, you know, kind of the, my love. I usually fall in love with a college basketball player every year. And, you know, the Suns had an opportunity, uh, but they didn't draft him. But uh, he's really good. I didn't think he'd be this good. I mean, he's averaging 30 a game. Uh, so I never imagined such a thing there. But the fact that they didn't double him until you know, maybe like midway through the fourth quarter, I was a little confused as to what the strategy was there. You know, make somebody else beat you because I'm not sure anybody else on that team can. I will also say you're going to score a lot of points against Oklahoma City because <laughs> they just don't guard people. Uh, and I don't know if they're really physically capable of guarding people. I don't know if it's a style of play thing. I think a lot of the Sacramento issues of not guarding people is that they've got some you know really skilled offensive players and uh, they have a much better chance quote outscoring you than Oklahoma City usually does. Uh, according to Dwayne Rankin of the Arizona Republic, who had a video of Monty Williams here in his post game, Monty Williams said, uh, "Quote that one. This one's on me. I got to get guys in the game that can create a rhythm, especially on defense. We are uh, giving up way too many thirty-point quarters consecutively, and that's on me. So I think to your point of, of finding some some rotations and and making some better in-game adjustments." Well, that's something I actually talked about on Friday a little bit about the 30-point quarter thing because he's made – I never really paid much attention to the 30-point quarter thing until Monty came here. And uh, that's uh, – even this year with the higher-scoring games in the NBA, that's still, I think, a good barometer. And even the game that they won against Orlando on Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken, they allowed 30 or more in three of the four quarters in that game. Uh, so when it comes to the ever-changing NBA West, here's where we stand. The Nuggets are still out in front at 48-24. and 24. The Kings are back in second. Uh, I believe they have the tiebreaker here with the Grizzlies, 43-27, and 27, and the Grizzlies also 43-27. and 27. The Suns in fourth at 38-33. and 33. Now the Clippers have ascended up to fifth at 38-34. and 34. The Mavericks now back in sixth at 36-35. and 35. The Warriors in seventh at 36 and 36 and those pesky little thunder uh they're at 35 and 36 but that's good for eighth place right now in the west the timberwolves drop to ninth at 35 and 37 the lakers in 10th at 35 and 37 and the jazz at 34 and 36 in 11th place the suns actually had a really good weekend until they played uh because literally every team below them except for the clippers lost either on friday or saturday or sunday 
Yes, you're you're right or, there. Or at least a couple of cases, teams. You know, I know that one of those teams lost twice over that span. So uh, it kind of goes back to where I was talking about on Friday that uh, you know I didn't expect the Suns to lose Sunday to Oklahoma City, especially the way that they did. But you know these other teams are not exactly kicking butt right now. They will play the Lakers on Wednesday and the Kings on Friday to continue their road trip. Uh, you know, you mentioned it. D.A. did not travel with uh, the team to Oklahoma City, but I, I don't really glean anything into that because the next game is in L.A. And if he's going to be ready to go, that's a, a quick hop, skip and a jump over there to L.A. Uh, right. as they're it, actually here right now. They came home for a couple of days and then they're going to go to L.A. on Tuesday some point. Right. That makes the most sense there uh, but if da is going to miss some more time with this right hip contusion does that also factor into some thoughts about just kind of where the team is is at barometer wise i guess i mean and like i said just get to the postseason i mean and hopefully not fall into one of the play-in game situations and i I, I find it hard to believe that that's actually going to happen no matter what the state of the Suns is because, as I just mentioned, every other team below them lost since last uh, Friday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, uh, with the exception of the Clippers. And that's the one team I've pointed out for two, three weeks running now that if there's a team that's you know, below them that actually has a chance to make do some damage or make a run, I think it's actually the Clippers. But then they had to get everybody on the floor – then, you know, they're the kings of not having everybody on the floor so far this year. No pun intended with the kings. They obviously, the kings actually have had, I'm guessing they've had the fewest injuries, uh, you know, time, games missed uh, because of injury than anybody we've talked about in this Western Conference mix. To your point about jockeying for position and falling behind uh particularly for the suns and the the contests that they have remaining as for the teams that are chasing them so you have the the wednesday game against the lakers trying to chase for wins you have the kings as uh right now out in front of the Suns, so the suns are chasing them uh then they play the 76ers which is an eastern conference game but then you have the jazz which are behind the suns the timberwolves behind the suns the nuggets ahead of the suns the Thunder behind the Suns, uh, the Spurs, hopefully that should be a victory for the Suns, uh, although the Spurs did come back and win against the Hawks after they were losing by 30-something points. Uh, then the Suns have the Nuggets. The Nuggets are in front of the Suns, and then they conclude the season, and we'll see how important these games are in uh, against the L.A. teams, against the Lakers, and against the Clippers. Yeah, and actually, just look at tonight. I mean, the Suns don't play, and you got Minnesota playing in New York. They're a heavy underdog in that game. You've got the Warriors, who are just atrocious on the road, but they're playing at Houston. The war, the the Rockets are so bad that the Warriors on the road is they're an eleven point road favorite tonight, <laughs> uh, which is almost impossible to believe. Uh, Dallas and Memphis play tonight, so one of those teams has to lose, and then Sacramento and Utah play tonight also. 11 point road favorite and they are horrendous on the road that's that's a lot happening that just says how bad the rockets are it does and uh but the rockets knew they were going to be bad yes you know, they, they made a decision as soon as they traded james harden that they're basically you know, i don't know if we're supposed to say the you know roger goodell hates the word tank i don't know if uh, the nba you know, adam silver hates that or not but 
you know, as soon as they made that move, and you know, they've made a lot of moves for draft picks and so forth in the last two years, they've been tanking for a couple years running now, calendar-wise. We wrap up hour number one on the other side of the break. It is the extra point. He is Bob Kemp. I am Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. More extra point next right here on KDOS AM 1060. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060. here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's still the month of March, so you want to be taking advantage of the listener rewards brought to you by the Superbook Sports uh, as they have a prize pack and a $100 gift certificate. It's simple. All you have to do is download the app, Apple and Android users, and listen every day for your opportunity to get one entry per day into the grand prize drawing for the Superbook prize pack and the $100 gift certificate. When we take a look back at what's going on with the Valspar Championship on the PGA Tour, we'll dive back into March Madness to start hour number two. The Valspar Championship, it was won by Taylor Moore, capturing his first PGA Tour win, closing with a four under 67, coming from behind. I want to say he was in the... 60 to 1 range so we had another tournament here that was not top of the board but Jordan Spieth top of the board was in contention and he really did have an opportunity to to win this one he was in the mix uh tied for the lead hit a wayward drive into the water on 16 and a heck of an effort there to come out with a bogey because where he had a drop based upon uh where he had to where his ball crossed the line of the hazard. He dropped with like 317 yards left to play in the hole. It was a par four, so for him to come away with a bogey there, and then he had an opportunity to make a birdie on 17 and, and missed it. So he was uh, out of the mix then, and, and Adam Shank, he was going for his first PGA Tour victory, and you feel terrible for him. He was fighting it all day long. He had this bomb of a birdie on 12 to get him back in it. Uh, I mean, this was a bomb. This was like a 75-footer or something crazy like that. And then on 18, all he had to do was hit the fairway, and he hit this massive hook, got a horrific break, stymied behind a tree. He had to flip his right-handed club around, hit it left-handed. What a miraculous shot he had there. He got a, a ton of carry on that thing, and it ended up going into the rough on the other side of the fairway uh, and made a heck of an effort to try to salvage his par, uh, but missed the putt, and the par would have forced a playoff, but he came up just short. So Taylor Moore was your Valspar champion. Tommy Fleetwood, he was another one that was kind of top of the board, and he was looking for his first PGA Tour victory, but he always seems to come up just short. This is now back-to-back -back events where he was in the, the last group or the second-to-last group vying for an opportunity to get that first PGA Tour win. But 
he's taking uh, solace in the fact that he is going all the way to the bank as a very rich person because uh, in his quest for his first PGA title, he has had over 112 starts and he has made over $15 million. He now moves up to second on the list of most money made on the PGA Tour without a win. As for what everyone's attention is turning to this week, it is the WGC match play at Austin Country Club. It's potentially the last time that this match play event will ever be played. Uh, Austin Country Club is not going to be the host next year and not sure it's going to fit into the calendar on the PGA Tour moving forward. So if you're into match play on the PGA Tour, this is likely your last opportunity to uh Watch it and enjoy it. It's at Austin Country Club, par 71, 7,108 yards. And uh, they've already released the brackets here. So what happens is it's you're going to be in bracket play, and then you have to make it out of your bracket, and then it goes uh, from there, or group play, I should say. So you have to make it out of your group play, and then it goes into a bracket-type format. Uh, no surprise here. Scotty Scheffler is the odds-on favorite at uh, – Eight to one. He is the defending champion as well. John Rahm is ten to one. Rory McIlroy is twelve to one. Patrick Cantley is sitting at sixteen to one. With match play, though, there's always so much volatility. Uh, you never, you never know uh, what's going to potentially happen. And someone who maybe just catches a a hot streak goes through and wins the tournament. So this is going to be another one where you just have to embrace the madness and embrace the volatility. The tournament, though, does get underway on Wednesday. That's what's going on in the PGA uh, Tour with the WGC match play at Austin Country Club. Hour number two is coming up on the other side of the break uh, here with the extra point on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and the KDOS 1060 app. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you.